to Totalus Rankium. This week, Magnus Maximus. And welcome to Roman Emperors Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Augustus. And this is episode 67, one less than 68, one more than 66. Yeah, it is. And it's Magnus Maximus. Yeah. The greatest of the greats. I have high expectations. <laughs> oh, yes. Very high expectations for him. Oh, it's, it's just an amazing name. I mean, he has a pretty good name. Yeah. I, I don't know about you. I don't care what he's done. I think he's a candidate for Jeanne César just oh, based on the name. He's going to get it, man. Yeah. Just just for that alone. However, before we start... Oh, gosh. Cue the piano music. Here we go. A few weeks ago, I I made... <laughs> Sorry. Are you seriously wrong? <laughs> a few weeks ago, I made an error in judgments and we've had a few complaints on the facebook page and i well, well, but a very important one a very important yes and i feel i genuinely do need to apologize because i i don't want to offend anybody this podcast is about offending it's about entertaining and hopefully rob imparting a bit of knowledge as well um a few weeks ago i made a grievous error and i need to apologize Yes. I stated that Twisted Sister were a goth band. <sighs> However, Rob, after your research, the band was... Sisters of Mercy. Not Twisted Sister. Yes. Who are an 80s metal band. Mm. Which raises an important question, I feel. When does, me- when does goth end and metal begin? Because metal players often wear black. And yes. studs. It's, it's a tricky question. It's tricky. It is. But I can't help but feel as head of research in this podcast. I should not have just taken your word for this. Yes, I should have done some not. research. You, so. you know me, Rob. <laughs> I feel I should take some of the blame as well. We are incredibly sorry. We are so to any Twisted Sister fans, Sisters of Mercy fans, or any fans in between. So anyway. Moving on. So let's start the greatest great, Magnus Maximus. He was born around 335. The fact you're saying around tells me that we're losing some information here. Yes, we are. Say goodbye to firm dates until pretty much the end of the series now. Okay. Yeah. But we do know it was in the reign of Constantine the Great. Oh. Yes, back then. He was born on the estate of Count Theodosius. The vampire. The vampire, yes. He was... Related to Count Theodosius, possibly. So he's like one-tenth vampire. Well, perhaps he was a nephew. That's even closer. Yes. A a quarter. This is debatable, of course. Um, But... No, he is. It would explain some things, like his rapid rise through the ranks, if he was closely related to Count Theodosius. And the fact he slept upside down. Yes, so I'm just going to say that he definitely was. Even though there's very slim evidence for this. That's all right. But for our podcast, he's related. Brilliant. So, apart from this, we know very little of his childhood. He would perhaps grown up with Theodosius, as in the future Emperor Theodosius. Okay. Gibbon mentions that he was a fellow soldier and a rival of Theodosius. Okay. However, for all we know, they had nothing to do with each other whatsoever. 
let's say, the big rivalry. Yeah, let's say there was. I think so. Although if we accept his birth date of 335, he would have been 12-odd years older than Theodosius. That's slightly one-sided competition, right? Yeah. I think, so. <laughs> I think he's there as Theodosius is just three. He's 15. <laughs> let's have a race. <laughs> I win again! Loser! <laughs> I am great as great! <laughs> He explains a lot. Yes, it does. We're patching this up quite well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, at some point, he went into the army, and he rised. What? No. And he, and he raised through... No. Rose through the ranks. Rose, that's the one. <laughs> and he rose through the ranks, as they always do. Yes, they do. And, of course, having the Count as a relative would have made sure that his elevation was rapid. Yeah. You don't say no to the Count. Not unless you want your neck intact. Yes. Once Valentinian was made emperor, this elevation would have been all the more rapid. Ooh. Because Count Theodosius was Valentinian's right-hand man for many, many of the years he was in charge. Now, we don't know for certain, but when Valentinian ordered Count Theodosius to Britain to squash the Great Conspiracy, Ooh. if you remember, that's when the Picts and the Scots yes. and the Franks the and the Saxons... Together all decided to revolt at the same time, and Valentinian sent several people who failed to sort it out until mm-hmm. finally sending Theodosius, Count Theodosius, yeah. to sort it out. So when he went over to Britain, it is more than likely that Magnus Maximus went with him as a subordinating role, some kind of junior officer at this point, yeah. we're guessing. And now I'm going to admit we have very little information on Magnus Maximus, so we're going on a detour. We're going on a Count Theodosius detail. Ooh, okay. Because he's an interesting person. He's the father of a future emperor. So I think we might as well get to know him a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Plus, Magnus Maximus follows him around all his career. Oh, so it links in. So it story. does link in, yes. Yeah, but we don't really know what Magnus was doing much. I, I will be honest, this is kind of implying he's not going to live up to his name. Oh. The fact you're filling time. Well, we'll see, we'll see. Right, so, after fighting in Britain, it's more than likely that he followed Count Theodosius into fighting the Alamanni on behalf of Valentinian. Okay. And then that was when the news comes in of the revolt in Africa. Now, if you remember back to Valentinian's episode, a man named Firmus had had enough of Romanus's using the province as his own personal playground. Yeah. And Firmus revolts. Really? Valentinian sends several men down to investigate and they all came back saying, no, it's fine. <laughs> so it's absolutely yeah. fine. Your pockets seem a lot heavier. Oh, yes. They, um, I went stone collecting on the beaches of Africa. Why is your horse gilded? <laughs> it can't move. It's just cruel. <laughs> <laughs> just a solid horse's neighing, sadly. <laughs> Lots of little wheels on the hooves to push it along. <laughs> Take it for a walk. Yeah. Look at my golden horse. Yeah, they came back with their golden horses. Valentinian, suspecting bribery, finally sent the Count to sort it out. And, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yes, Magnus Maximus would have gone with him. Now, word of warning here. There is a Maximus that comes up a few times in the following story. I don't know if it's Magnus Maximus, the person we're doing. It'd be easy if we said it was. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find anywhere to suggest that it wasn't, but I couldn't find anywhere that suggested it definitely was. There's very little written about Maximus, Mm. not just in primary sources, but secondary sources as well. Yeah. 
But it's very likely it's the right Maximus, because we know Magnus Maximus was with Count Theodosius. Yep. We know he's high up in the army. Yeah. And a Maximus is mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. So I'm just going to say it was definitely him. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll go with that. Good. Right. So with the slight caveat that this might not have been him, we're deciding that it was. So here we go. Count Theodosius goes into Africa and soon comes across Romanus, and I quote, whom he addressed courteously and sent him to take charge of the guards and the frontier defences, with a very slight rebuke for his conduct. So Count Theodosius meets Romanus, the man yeah. who had been causing all the terror hmm. in the province, and just says, come on now, Romanus. <laughs> Rolls his eyes, tuts, but then gives him a position. Fair, yeah, sort it out and, you know, if you do really well. <laughs> Give That's, a position. Yeah. Well, Romanus, realizing there's no way he can bribe the count, you're not bribing the count. You got well, you can't give him silver money. No. Go on, exactly. So he was shocked that he was being treated so leniently. He was <laughs> expecting at least exile, if not execution. Yeah. For what he'd been up to. If you remember, he had been allowing barbarians yeah. to sack his own cities. I'll be looking the other way. Yeah, you've been doing some nasty stuff. So do you think he gets suspicious? Like, you're being too nice? Well, maybe he was a bit suspicious. But he goes off anyway, not believing his luck. He thinks, <laughs> okay, I've got away with that. <laughs> got away with this. <laughs> However, as soon as Romanus was gone, Magnus was sent off by Count Theodosius to arrest Romanus's number two. Magnus went with the brother of Firmus, a man named Gildo, who will come into the story later on. Gildo. Gildo. It's a good name. It's a name you don't want to mispronounce. <laughs> no, it's certainly not. <laughs> it's really not. Yes. So, Gildo and Magnus... <laughs> That sounds like a brand. I'm sorry. It really does. Magnus Gilda. <laughs> Off they went together, and they arrested Romanus's strongest supporters. So this was all a ruse by Count Theodosius. He was just getting Romanus out the way so they could undercut his power by arresting his yeah. followers. When Romanus arrived at his post, he soon realised that the guards he was supposed to be leading were, in fact, his jailers. <laughs> yes. You're carrying the swords the wrong way round. They should be pointing the opposite direction, I feel. Yeah. Now, show me to my quarters. Oh. <laughs> so, Romanus is now out of the way. Count Theodosius then turns his attention to Firmus. Yes, Firmus had revolted for a good reason, but he had revolted nonetheless. And you don't revolt. No, you don't. It never ends well, apart from all the emperors where it did. Oh, yeah, apart from them. However, the climate was taking its toll on Count Theodosius's men at this point. It's hot, it's dry, and they're about to fight men who would run and hide and strike suddenly rather than fighting in the open. Yeah, because you, you just got to have the stamina. and Yeah, it's... Italy's pretty hot, but it's not, you know, Egypt. <laughs> and also, the, these men were being pulled from Gaul as well. Ooh. Yeah. French skin. Yeah, so you're getting dangerously close to being from Britain there. Oh my goodness, no case, way. No way you're coping in the African nope. heat. I'm amazed so. we've built an empire, yes. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so this was going to be a bit harder than perhaps Count Theodosius first thought. Yeah. Now, we don't know how high up Magnus was in the army at this point, but it's safe to assume that he would have been high up especially since Theodosius, as in future Emperor Theodosius, was not with them at this point. Well, he's probably only about ten, isn't he, at this point? No, no, Count Theodosius's son, Theodosius, is now in Moesia, oh. starting to do his own thing, and we'll cover that in his episode. Okay. 
So he's making a name for himself on his own. But that does leave a future Emperor Theodosius-shaped hole in Count Theodosius's army, which perhaps Magnus Maximus was filling. A lot of speculation here, yeah. of course. It's unlikely he would have been, like, the number two or anything, but he probably had a place on the table when they had their important meetings. Maybe yeah. maybe at the end, near the flap. <laughs> the breeze came in and he was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. One day, shortly after they decide to attack Firmus, envoys arrive from Firmus's camp, asking for peace. They explain that they had not wished to revolt, but just wanted to rid Rome of an unworthy general. They handed over a letter from Firmus himself that said he had not in his own volition taken a hasty step which he knew to be criminal, but because of unjust and outrageous treatment by Romanus. So Firmus very justly pointing out, well, Romanus was horrible. We were trying to stop him in the same way you just stopped him. We don't need to fight here. Yeah, that's fair enough. Count Theodosius read the letter and assured the envoys there would indeed be peace. Oh, which is nice. Yeah. Of course, as soon as the envoys were gone, just round the corner, <laughs> Count Theodosius readies the troops. Yeah. It's time to go and wipe out Firmus. <laughs> Kill them all. He did not stop too long to stock up on supplies, however, saying that the enemy had all the food that they would need. Oh, that's never a good sign. Is it? <laughs> it's not a good sign. So off they set. Another set of envoys soon turn up, probably saying something along the lines of, but, but you, peace? Do you remember saying... Peace? No? no? Why are you all holding swords? But Count Theodosius refused to meet them. Onwards they went until they finally met with the brother of Firmus, Dias. And I'll quote, Ooh. When the enemy, active in all their limbs, were in sight, a fierce battle began after volleys of missiles from both sides. Amid the groans of the dying and the wounded, the mournful howls of the barbarians were heard as they were taken prisoner or killed. And when the contest was ended, many fields were plundered and burned. Oh dear. Nasty stuff, but Count Theodosius doing some good work here. Yes, he's making his way through. He's been quite successful there, hasn't he? He's doing all right for himself. So while the Count's troops celebrated and started to plunder for that food that they'd not stocked up, (laughs) one of Firmus's generals (gasps) counterattacked. However, this attack soon turns into a disaster. And I'll quote, But when very many of his troops were routed, the general himself barely escaped the danger of death through the swiftness of his horse. Gilded horse. Yes. Just got some slaves to pull it along. (laughs) (laughs) Quickly, they're coming. Just never have gilded this horse. (laughs) Next up was a delegation of Christian priests. So Firmus trying everything here. Let's send some priests at the count. Maybe that will slow him down. Ah, Christian symbols, holy water. Yes, a good strategy. Very good strategy. They were treated very kindly, but completely ignored. (laughs) Yeah, which is kind of understandable. Someone turns up. Have you considered not attacking? Nope. (laughs) Put them in a tent. (laughs) Give them a biscuit, cup of tea. Yeah. At this point, we might have some detail on Magnus, because again, his name pops up if it is him. He suddenly returns from a mission, another one that he was sent on with Gildo. So this again is the adventures of Magnus and Gildo, which I think would make a good series. (laughs) Magnus and Gildo! (laughs) Yeah. They had somehow managed to capture the leader of a tribe who was fighting for Firmus. 
Okay. Count Theodosius asked what they should do with such traitors, and it was decided the leaders would have their hands cut off, and the rest would be executed. Oh, that'd be horrible. It really would be horrible. You couldn't do anything. You really... you In an age where Ooh, there's no state support for anything, you'd be entirely reliant on everyone else to exist. An infection? But I guess they'd, they'd like cauterise it to keep them alive. Yeah, they wouldn't want them to die, would they? Yeah, very Ooh. horrible. Count Theodosius not known for being a fluffy general. No. No. The yes. army press on. They won another victory. They took some more prisoners, more mutilations took place, and onwards they went. However, they soon came across an enemy that vastly outnumbered them. Ooh. Count Theodosius had bitten off more than he could chew. He was forced to retreat. Oh. The enemy were hot on his heels. Things were looking bad. And I quote, He himself would have been killed and his army utterly annihilated. So th- this is looking like the end. However, the Count catches a stroke of luck. His enemy saw the prisoners that he had in the distance and mistook them for reinforcements. Oh. Yeah, so he was holding his prisoners back slightly. Yeah. And, um... There's, there's our reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> I think some soldiers were going, but... They look really ill, and they're not carrying weapons, and they're all chained up, sir. Are you sure they're really short forcements? Maybe Theodosius had dressed them all up. Maybe he'd got the cardboard army. Yes, I think that's what it is. So, because of this, Count Theodosius and his army were able to escape. They headed for a nearby town, took it, and just settled down for a while. Time to rest. They'd been fighting for a while. He spent his time reorganising his men and sending other men out to deal with nearby tribes, attempting to get them on side through threats and bribery. So it wasn't just fighting, he was doing diplomatic missions as well. D- Who- diplomacy, join us or I'll kill you! <laughs> it's a blunt force of diplomacy, yeah, but true. diplomacy nonetheless. Who knows, maybe Magnus would have been involved in this, <laughs> since he's one of the higher officers. It wouldn't surprise me yep. if he was getting involved here. We just don't know. It was soon learnt that Firmus had retreated into the mountains, and the enemy troops nearby were essentially leaderless. Oh dear. Yes, that big army that looked so scary actually didn't really have a leader. This encourages the Count to attack, and so he does, and he takes the enemy's camp. Army of bats. Yes. And fog, and wolves, (laughs) and just generally... Or the creatures of the night. Yes, exactly. And then he sets off to follow Firmus, taking towns as they went. And I'll quote again, they severely punished the traitors and the attendants of Firmus, as was his custom. Yeah. It's always nice to have a custom. Yeah. As it is done. Yes. (laughs) My custom happens to be the mutilation of traitors. Yours happens to be serving turkey at Christmas. Each to their own. (laughs) Just the way it is. (laughs) Yes. Eventually they catch up with Firmus. All of this had been taking place so far. Lots yeah. of battles with no sight of Firmus. But eventually they do catch him up. And another battle takes place. And I'll quote again. A fierce battle followed, since the savages were uncommonly ferocious. But Count Theodosius opposed his army to them in a circular formation. And they were so overcome by the weight of the onrushing troops that many of them were slain. Yeah. So Theodosius just encircles them. And kills them all. However, Firmus escapes. Firmus himself, after fighting bravely and often risking his life, was carried off in headlong flight by his horse, which was accustomed (laughs) to run swiftly over rocks and cracks. (laughs) 
clank, clank. Yeah. We've bent the axles. <laughs> maybe, maybe the battle was taking place on a hill. But this, yeah. it's, it's Push him down. Just rolled down. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting away. <laughs> So again they take chase, <laughs> and again they catch up. This time, the leader of the fort that Firmus was howled up in came out to talk to Count Theodosius before the battle. Hello. What is your rank? said he to Theodosius. Or what have you come here to do? Tell me. Theodosius, with a stern glance and a resolute mind, replied, I... I am the Count of Valentinian, Lord of the World, sent to destroy a murderous robber. That is the best quote I've ever heard. That's amazing. Unless you give him to me at once, as the Invincible Emperor has ordered, you will perish utterly with the race over which you rule. <laughs> Lightning strike behind him. Yeah. yeah. That's a brilliant quote you don't mess with count theodosius you don't <laughs> someone essentially comes out who, who are you i am your worst nightmare i am death <laughs> yeah. i am fire <laughs> i am your doom i am you losing a pen when you really need to write something down i'm that thing where you can't quite close a drawer because there's something sticking out of it <laughs> Yeah, all the worst things. Yeah. <laughs> when you try to put your foot into the shoe, but the lace is a bit too done up, so you have to take your foot out, undo the laces and put your foot in again. You don't have a shoe on, so you use your finger and it scrapes. And it turns red. At this remark, the leader hastily goes back <laughs> into his thoughts. And you will not be surprised to learn battle lines are formed. Let's imagine that Magnus Maximus was right next to Count Theodosius when he was making those remarks. <laughs> Looking a bit scared. Yeah. What? Yeah. Because let's not forget, this is Magnus's episode, not Theodosius's. So, soon afterwards, the battle starts. Count Theodosius and his men were heavily outnumbered this time. But, unlike last time, could not just run away. Mm. And I'll quote Ammianus again. The Romans, although very few in number, nevertheless brave in spirit and encouraged by their former victories, pressed side to side in close order, and with their shields closely held together in their tortoise formation, stood fast and resisted them. <laughs> really slow. <laughs> <laughs> and the battle was continued from sunrise to the end of the day. So a very long, slow, hard slog. Oh, that's here. a horrible... That's yes. 12 hours of fighting. But interestingly, first mention of tortoise formation in all my research for this podcast. So I'm guessing that's where the shields are above to stop arrows. Yes, yeah. Like, like in 300. Yeah. So I imagine the entirety of Count Theodosius' army just made one big tortoise. Oh, a big shape. Yeah. Brilliant. And just stood there for the entire day whilst everyone Walking else... really slowly. <laughs> yeah. Whilst the entire opposing army was just... Dun, 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 dun. We can't get in. I, I just saw this image of Jeff falling on his back. <laughs> not being able to get yeah. in. <laughs> Help! I'm a tortoise. Jeff, you're not actually a <laughs> oh, Leave him. <laughs> leave him behind. <laughs> so, night forces the battle to close, as it often does. Count Theodosius spent the night cutting the hands off and burning alive those who attempted to escape during battle. He's horrible. <laughs> he really is. Not the enemy, I hasten to mention then. That's oh. his own men who he claimed were deserting. So if he suspected anyone of trying to desert, 
then he was cutting their hands off and burning them alive. So what did you do to the enemy? Oh, dear God. <laughs> yes. Suddenly, sort of like mid-hand chop, as they were lighting the kindling underneath yeah. all the deserters, Nice. the enemy attacked under the cover of darkness. But it was a short-lived attack. There's a reason why people don't fight at night. No one had a clue what was going on. <laughs> and the Romans soon beat this surprise attack off. I say the Romans, both sides are Romans, but the, the real Roman side. Yeah, the, the goodies. <laughs> are they the goodies? Not really. <laughs> Maybe not. But the protagonists. Yes. So yes, they beat this attack off. Count Theodosius uses this brief respite to retreat. Fighting then continues over the next few weeks. Very much a stalemate going on now. But the Count was also using diplomacy to turn the local tribes, as I mentioned earlier. Oh, that's a good idea. Eventually, one of the tribes that Count Theodosius had turned secretly received Firmus into their camp. The king of the tribe attempted to keep the betrayal a secret and sent word out to the Count Theodosius that he had Firmus. He's here. However, Firmus was suspicious. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sleeping in that room. It's got bars around it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Firmus knows the game's up here. He realises yeah. he is in the enemy camp. Like you say, his quarters he'd been given was actually a cell. <laughs> I'll quote here. Accordingly, having purposely filled his guards and made them drunk, and in the silence of the night, they were buried in sound sleep. He himself kept awake by fear of the trouble which hung over him. With noiseless steps, he left his bed by creeping on hands and knees, got himself some distance off. So what's he doing? So the obvious answer is he's trying to escape. I think he's trying to get something or trying to... He is trying to get something. And I'll carry on. But when it says noises, it comedy noises. Like, you know, everything's <laughs> creaking really loudly. Probably. <laughs> knocks over a few pans. Yeah. Knocks a glass over. He's quite confused because he's in a tent with just sand floor. <laughs> what the hell's going on? <laughs> it shouldn't be so noisy. Elegabalus's, um old whoopee cushions. Yes. <laughs> so he, he's crawling on his hands and knees. He's managed to escape his guards. And he does find something. And I'll carry on quoting. And finding a rope which he had procured for the calamity of ending his life, he hung it from a nail fastened in the wall, and putting his neck in it, he breathed his last without the torments of a painful death. I don't know, it seems pretty painful, hanging yourself. It's either hang yourself or give yourself to Count Theodosius. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I okay. know which one I'm doing. <laughs> quick, quick, quick snap of the neck all over. <laughs> yes. It's like going into a warm bath. <laughs> Come backwards from ten. <laughs> so, the leader of the tribe who, who had caught him was annoyed that he'd lost his prize, so he stuck Firmus's corpse on a camel and rode it straight to Count Theodosius. I hope he's upright. <laughs> Just sort of wedged on. Between, between the humps. humps. Yeah. <laughs> Count Theodosius receives the body with great joy. The war was over. However, it was a short-lived victory for Count Theodosius, who had to stay in Africa to sort things out for a while. A couple of years later, so he's still trying to settle the yeah. region, oh, wow. a message comes through. The emperor was dead. Oh. This is Valentinian. He had shouted himself to death. <laughs> Blew an artery in his head. Yes. Valentinian is the person who respects Count Theodosius. Yes. Count Theodosius is very much seen as Valentinian's man. So his emperor is dead. Shortly afterwards, another message arrives. Count Theodosius was to be executed. What? Yes, that's probably what he said. <laughs> <laughs> hey? 
There is no record whatsoever why this happens. We just don't know. We just know he gets executed. Now, obviously there's some kind of political manoeuvring going on after Valentinian's death. If you remember, there was a faction that elevates Valentinian II, the four-year-old, to the throne. So there's some suggestion that the generals that did that want to ensure that Valentinian's most powerful general did not use the turmoil to advance his own cause. Fair enough. So they just send a letter off saying, execute him. However, there's another suggestion, and I like this one a little bit more. Go on. There's also the suggestion that they use the claim of black magic against Count Theodosius. Perhaps pointing out he's a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) He's an unholy creation. I I think we can get away with that. (laughs) (laughs) Just look at his name. Come on. He's the undead. (laughs) Well, actually, it's not linked to vampires. This links back to Valen's episode. Right. If you remember, in Valen's episode, there was a young man called Theodorus, who was accused of attempting to usurp the throne by using his weird Ouija board thing. Yeah. Yeah, if you remember this sort of Ouija board thing spelled out his name, so they said (laughs) you're going to try and usurp the throne. Well, actually, it didn't spell out Theodorus's full name. It only spelled out the start of his name. Theo. Theod. Or the equivalent in Greek. Yeah, okay. So some historians suggest that the rumour that a Theod someone would attempt to usurp the throne was being used against Theodosius. They're saying, oh, we got it wrong. It wasn't Theodorus. Maybe we shouldn't have executed him. <laughs> it's actually Theodosius. <laughs> so, ah, well, live and learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I quite like that idea. I mean, I don't think anyone believed that at the time, but I think it's a chance that it was used as an excuse. More, more yeah, more than likely. <laughs> yeah. So who knows, maybe that happened. Either way, Count Theodosius is executed in 376. Locked in a coffin with crucifixes and holy water. Yeah, and a stake. Of course, yeah. Now, we don't know, but we can presume that Magnus Maximus was with him when this happened. As Magnus Maximus had followed Count Theodosius all his career. Possibly. Yeah, so he would have seen his commander executed. Probably not very happy about this. So, Magnus then returns to Gaul, shortly after the death of his commander, and was soon reassigned. This time he was sent to Britain. Magnus has fought in Britain before, so he knew the land. And those pesky Picts and Scots were causing trouble again. Someone had to go and sort them out. They just don't learn, do they? They just don't. So Magnus was put in charge of sorting them out. We don't know if he went over there as the commander, but he was definitely the commander of Britain shortly afterwards so he's risen pretty highly here he's doing all right for himself we have no details on his time in britain apart from the fact that some fighting took place and he was well respected by the troops (laughs) then one day in 383 and we don't know how or why (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) the troops declare magnus maximus augustus from his rapid success we can deduce that this was not a spur of the moment thing Mm. magnus has clearly been planning this for some time I don't know, there's some people that have been elevated without necessarily planning it. It's just sort of, you're good, you'll do. That has happened in the past, but there's always a bit of chaos afterwards. That's true. Things happen very quickly when Magnus is elevated, which leads us to believe that money. he'd actually been planning things. Yeah, maybe some money had exchanged hands. So how, how do you think it happened? What, the elevation? Yeah. I think someone was nudged in the crowd until they said... <clears throat> Maybe it should be ah, ah stop, stop stop it. If I say it, will you stop? Yeah, I think that's I don't think. Okay. Yeah. The question is more why did it happen? 
Why does Magnus Maximus revolt? Is he sort of come out of nowhere? Yeah, he really has come out of nowhere. He's got a very sort of, not typical, he wasn't a run-of-the-mill soldier, but there's nothing outstanding about him so far. No. No. And suddenly he's been declared Augustus. So here's a couple of ideas. Perhaps he resented the fact that Theodosius, by this point, had been chosen to become emperor. Because if you remember... Oh, yeah, of course. Gratian realises that something has to happen after Valens dies, and it's decided that Theodosius could go into the Danube and prove himself. If he does, he'll become emperor. Oh, dear. Now, like I said at the start, there is a chance that Magnus and Theodosius are actually cousins. Theodosius yeah. being over a decade younger. So maybe Magnus is just thinking, hang on, I followed Count Theodosius all those yeah. years. In fact, longer than Theodosius the Younger did. Yeah. So maybe I should be the emperor. So maybe it's a yeah. bit of resentment there. I held his hand while a stake was driven through his black heart. Yeah. No one else did that. No. I was there scared. for them. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it was that. And maybe it was just the fact that he was stuck in Britain. <laughs> I'm so depressed. <laughs> yeah. I'm just in a damp island somewhere fighting barbarians. Not just barbarians, but barbarians mm. that aren't even like cool. He's not fighting the goths. He's no. just fighting some barbarians blue, no one's really heard blue of. Face painted. Yeah. No one's talking about the Scots and the Picts back in the Empire. No one's going to give him respect later on in life when he talks about fighting a bunch of Picts. Everyone will just go, who? So yeah, he st- stop swearing. He's not <laughs> He's not fighting the cool battle. So maybe he's annoyed by that. But, as I've said, this is all speculation. We have no idea why he revolts. However, if it is true that he was not happy with Theodosius being elevated, it's not really Theodosius that riles Magnus. No. The person who really annoys Magnus is Gratian. No. Theodosius, he realises, is a good general. However, Gratian is a young, pompous emperor who's barely fought any battles and keeps dressing up like Alan. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Yeah. So Magnus is not happy. If Theodosius can be emperor, so could he. And if Gratian can be emperor, then why on earth should he not be emperor? So I will be emperor. Yes. Nudge, 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 nudge. Okay. Stay okay, I'll say it. So the revolt begins. Magnus Maximus takes a large portion of the British troops and heads across the sea to the mouth of the Rhine and then over into Gaul. He arrives near Paris and then sets up his troops, awaiting Gratian's arrival. Nice. Knowing that it would definitely be Gratian. He's much closer than Theodosius, and Theodosius is busy at this moment. So as discussed last time, there was no battle, just skirmishes that didn't really lead anywhere. And then mass defections start to take place. Oh, yeah. People don't like Gratian very much. Magnus is popular. Yeah. He's got a good name for a start. He's great greatest. Yeah. We're unsure exactly why Gratian loses so much support so quickly here. This idea that he dressed like Alan doesn't seem enough, to be honest. Most of want an excuse. It's like, you know, when people get a bit annoyed with status quo, they make silly choices and go with something just, that's different. Just because, yeah. Even though it's clearly not a good choice to make. Yeah, that does yeah. happen sometimes, doesn't it? So maybe it was that. Either way, Gratian runs with a handful of troops. Magnus sends a Gothic general after him. It's not long before Magnus hears the news that Gratian was dead. Oh, someone from the band Sisters of Mercy went after him. Yes, they did. There we go. Magnus then heads to Trier, where he sets up his capital. He allowed those who supported Gratian to retire peacefully and appointed his own men. So he's not bloodthirsty. That's nice. No. 
That's quite did, nice. You did learn from Theodosius then, from the count. No, this is a fairly bloodless coup here. Hmm. Considering he's usurping, that's quite surprising yeah. in some ways. Magnus then started phase two of his plan. Ooh. Phase one was Kilgration. Tick. S- yeah, set up a capital. Tick. Yeah, so now into phase two. He writes two letters. One to Valentinian two, Probably in big letters. <laughs> nice easy words for him to read. Valentinian <laughs> two. remember, very young at this point. Yeah. With pictures. Yeah. And the other to Theodosius. So he writes to the two emperors. To Valentinian II, he offers peace. As long as Valentinian II comes to Trier and swears allegiance to him. Are so young? Yes, but he does have advisors. It's not just him But that's on the his best own. one to go for, because you, you have the young one trying to you know, squash them and get them on side. Rather than... Ah, you see, that's his plan, yes. And then to Theodosius, he sends a simple offer. Peace or war? Ooh. And he sends some of his most trusted advisors to go and negotiate the terms. Now, I'm guessing Theodosius is the next emperor we're going to cover. No, we're going to do Valentinian II before Theodosius. That really doesn't go well for Theodosius. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of. The envoys heading towards Theodosius essentially say, if you leave us alone, I will not fight you, but I will if I have to. Now, remember, the two possibly know each other, and possibly yeah. fairly well. They might even be related. So this would have been quite a personal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Theo. <laughs> Yo, bro. <laughs> yeah. He knows Theodosius. This isn't a letter to a stranger. Incidentally, the letter does not in any way apologise for killing Gratian. It just says, oh, yeah, my general acted without orders, honest. <laughs> so Magnus eagerly awaits his reply. What's it going to be, peace or war? However, his envoys eventually come back and just say Theodosius completely ignored them. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Theodosius, like, you, I, I don't have time for this. I'm not even going to deal with it. Magnus not too happy by this. Oh, that's... Yeah, you, you did an uprising, you kind of, yeah, I'm the emperor now, I'm, I'm awesome. Wait, hang on. Yeah. You've got to have some kind of response. You can't usurp and no one respond to you. It's the whole... If, if the, <laughs> I matter! Yeah, if you usurp in a forest but no one's there to hear you. <laughs> Is it a usurpation? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Magnus feels a bit put out by this. So, he changes tact. He sends one of his generals to Milan, where Valentinian II is. Okay. Let's go back to Milan. Let's talk to Valentinian II again and reiterate what was in the letter to begin with. Valentinian II needs to come up to me and swear allegiance. (laughs) Milan, however, had responded. It just didn't seem like it. They just were taking their time. Crossing paths with his envoys, an envoy from Milan arrives, and it's none other than the Bishop of Milan, Ambrose. Now, I mentioned him last week, only briefly, and we will go into detail on Ambrose next week, because we'll have some time to talk about him, because he's an important man in the next few episodes. So, Ambrose arrives in Trier. Magnus tells Ambrose that Valentinian must come to Trier, like, and I quote, a son to his father. Stern words. (laughs) Ambrose points out it's the middle of winter. Of course Valentinian too would come up if it was sunny, but... It's not, so can't expect him to come up now. It's slightly overcast Yeah, in in Italy. It just wouldn't really be appropriate. I mean, it can get cold. (laughs) Magnus scoffs at this idea. Ha! 
realising this is ridiculous, you're just trying to come up with any reason, he must come to me. At this point, Ambrose, I'd like to imagine, his face goes from a nice, amiable face, lots of smiles, oh, it's far too cold, to suddenly very stern, and simply tells Magnus that he does not have the mandate to demand this. Nice! <laughs> oh, it's like being ignored that a beep slap to the face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> As you can imagine, Magnus still really not happy with what's going on here. <laughs> He's trying his best to be tough and usurping, but it's not really working. Oh, so when people don't have a mandate, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So he throws Ambrose in prison. Ooh. Until his envoys arrive back from Milan. Remember, he'd sent some of his generals to Milan. Yeah, yeah. So two sets of conversations were going on at the same time here. Unfortunately for Magnus, when his envoys come back... They were given exactly the same response as he was. Valentinian twos are not coming. Magnus then releases Ambrose. He realises that yeah. you can't kill the Bishop of Milan just because you're a bit annoyed. He realises even that would have gone too far. So possibly with an ear full of curses, <laughs> Ambrose is released. However, before long, a second envoy from Milan suddenly arrives. Oh, hello, sir. Maybe Milan had had a change of mind. In fact, it seemed like they had. They were open to talking. Ooh. Magnus finally cheers up a bit. <sighs> so the envoys talk. They arrange plans. They talk some more. They talk a bit more and some more plans are formulated. It soon becomes apparent to Magnus that this is obviously a stalling tactic. <laughs> and sure enough, while they were talking, Valentinian II had occupied the Alpine passes. The Alps are now completely secure. Magnus can no longer enter Italy Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Magnus thought. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> Magnus was kind of thinking, if this doesn't work, I'll just invade. Yeah. Well, that option's now off the table. Not unless he wants a really hard, bitter struggle through the Alps. So he is now stuck in Gaul. And things settle into an uneasy truce between Magnus, Valentinian, and Theodosius. Yeah. At one point during the following year, one of Theodosius's generals led a sizable force of mercenary Huns and Goths against the Jathungai. And if you remember from the map, the Jathungai kind of borders the land that Magnus is now occupying. Yes. Magnus is not happy. He's this, he sees this as an excuse for an attack on his land and made very loud noises about the fact that Huns and Goths were being used to fight him, a Roman. Whose side are you on anyway, Theodosius? How dare you? That kind Especially of the Huns. Yes. Who are they, anyway? They've got some scary bows. They're good bows, the Huns did. We'll get into that. However... I hope you mean dicky bow. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> the spinny round ones with LEDs. Yeah. And... Some of them squirted water when you pressed the brilliant. Pump. That's great. Magnus then receives a letter from Ambrose, pointing out that the forces were not attacking Magnus, but the barbarians. We're on the same side. Stop throwing a strap. <laughs> Honest. And things settle down again. But there was always this undercurrent of trouble. You get the feeling something's going to happen soon. But for the next few years, there was an uneasy peace. Good. None of the three sides seemed to move. But there is a subtle shifting of power taking place. All sides are roughly equal in strength at this point. None of them are strong enough to take on one of the others. So th this is a split empire now, isn't it? Well, we're split three ways at the moment. We've got Valentinian II's court, we've got Theodosius, and we've got yeah. Magnus. Yes, there is an alliance between Theodosius and Valentinian II, mm. but that, that perhaps might be more with hindsight, we think, that. Yeah. Because let's not forget, Magnus and Theodosius yeah. were potentially 
related, so you could say that they have the closest bond. So the new uh, South Park game coming out, it's called Fractured But Whole. Fractured But Whole. Yeah. Fractured But yeah. Whole. I've, I've got it. Okay. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. Yes, it is. Fractured But Whole. Yeah, yeah, cheers. <laughs> so even if two of these sides teamed up, they'd not have enough forces to definitely wipe out the third. No. So no one's strong enough to take on anyone else at the moment. But things were changing in the less tangible but still just as important world of religion. Ooh. Currently, politically, Valentinian was actually the weakest. Now, the first and most obvious reason is that he's still a child. He's two years old, sir. <laughs> but the other, just as important reason, was his religion. He was an Aryan. Oh. He was an Aryan in a city that was not Aryan. Remember, he's in Milan, in the West. And they are not Aryan in the West, usually. No, that's true. Not only that, Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, so Valentinian's most important advisor, yeah. is not Aryan. He is, in fact, very anti-Aryan, which I'm going to start calling Nicene, because it follows yeah. the Nicene Creed, just so I'm not saying Aryan and anti-Aryan all the time. So I'm going to start saying Nicene and yeah. Aryan. So, Ambrose, very Nicene. Also, very Nicene, is Theodosius and Magnus. And Magnus realised, as Theodosius did, if they could get Ambrose on side, he would be a powerful ally, potentially easing the way into one of them taking over Milan in a bloodless coup. Public pressure. Yes, it was very easy to imagine Ambrose declaring to all the Nicene followers in Milan yeah. that their rightful emperor, who follows the true religion, was coming, and they should back him. And let's get rid of Valentinian, who's just a horrible Aryan anyway. Yeah, dirty Aryan. Exactly. So Ambrose is the key, thinks Magnus and Theodosius. Get him on side, we will just take the court of Valentinian. That will double our strength, and then we can take on the third person. Yay. So Magnus and Theodosius start on a diplomatic campaign that we will call, Look How Bloody Nicene I Am. <laughs> I mean, seriously, have you seen how Nicene I am? I'm Nicene Bigly. I am so Nicene. I'm Nicene all over your face. Yeah. Was the name of... The single they released to prove how Nicene they were. Was that the lyrics or just the title of the single? That's the title of the single. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of work on, look how religious I am, Ambrose. Look, are you looking? Are you looking how religious I am? Yeah. I'm well Nicene. Partly through this, things became a bit more cordial between the three factions because they need to talk to each other to prove to each other how Nicene they are. (laughs) <laughs> so relations actually kind of improve at this point and by this point Magnus has essentially been recognised as emperor albeit with no ceremony so he is now a joint emperor fine you can be emperor so things have got good enough between the factions that Magnus's brother actually visited Milan at one point and Ambrose came up to Trier for a meeting nice Yeah. this was a perfect opportunity for Magnus to get Ambrose on side yeah however it did not go to plan Ambrose was there for Gratian. Oh. Yes, Gratian, who is dead. But Magnus had kept Gratian's body as a bargaining chip. Um, We're a few years on now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, Valentinian wants his brother's body. So he sent Ambrose up there to get it. Magnus, despite the fact that he wants to get Ambrose on the side, just can't help himself. 
don't forget, Magnus is annoyed at Am- Ambrose for stalling him previously. Yeah. Last time Ambrose came to visit, it was actually a plot to slow him down. Yeah. And because of that, he wasn't able to sweep into Italy and just take it. Yeah. So the request was refused, and the uneasy peace continues. But despite the appearances of peace, Magnus was plotting in secret, waiting for his chance to strike. Sure enough, it came. When Theodosius was busy in the east dealing with troubles there, he suddenly makes a move on Valentinian. Ooh. Now, we're unsure how Magnus managed to cross the Alps so easily, considering that they're supposed to be garrisoned. According to Zosimus, Magnus convinced a Valentinian general that he was sending troops into Italy to support Valentinian in an upcoming campaign. That general. Yeah. As soon as Magnus's men were through, they turned on the garrisoned men and killed them all. Now, this is either false, or that general is a complete idiot. General Jeff. (laughs) Yes, it was General Jeff. (laughs) That's what happens. Idiot. Why are we here? Oh, um, we're here to support... Valentinian in that war that's happening. Yes. I can tell this but Jeff there because I thought like you spent like a week pretending to be a tortoise on your back. <laughs> Let's put you somewhere you won't do any harm, right? You go on top of the Alps. Yeah. We'll even make you a general. It's fine. You're out of the way, there's no chance of anything happening. Just stay there. <laughs> He's there waving people through. Come on in <laughs> Welcome to Romani. <laughs> yeah. So, Magnus is through with very little effort. He sweeps into Italy, taking his fellow emperor by surprise. Valentinian is forced to flee with his family, his sister and his mother, Justina. Remember, Justina's the one that married Magnentius and then Valentinian. Oh, yeah. So we'll come across her again in the next episode. So, the family head for the safety of Theodosius. Ambrose, interestingly, stays behind. He is not scared of Magnus. Really? No. Well, he's, he's the head of the church. Oh, that's true. In the most prominent city of the West. That's true. He is the head of the Nicene Creed, essentially, at this point. And Magnus is very Nicene himself. So he feels like he's got some superiority over him. Okay. He's not going to be cowed by a pesky emperor. <laughs> so, like I say, Magnus had not been lazy in his preparations. You always get the sense with Magnus that a lot of forward planning had gone on. Not only had he taken Italy and now effectively howled all of the West, he'd also sent out spies and agents to infiltrate Theodosius's army and raise protests in major cities in the East. Alexandrium, in particular, starts to riot, distracting Theodosius. Oh dear. So he's actually managed to set up riots in cities. He's doing well, isn't he, actually? He does some good stuff. Magnus is now feeling confident in Aquileia, thinking he's got Theodosius on the back's foot, when suddenly news comes in. Theodosius was attacking... He was expecting that. Of course there'd be a counterattack. But he was not coming by land. He was coming by... Helicopter. (laughs) That did shock him, yes. (laughs) What the hell is that? What? (laughs) No, he was... Well, he was coming by land, but he was also coming by sea as well. And that's not a a Roman strength, is it? It's really not. So that took Magnus by surprise a bit. But I bet, because they've taken so much land, they'll use the people that can use the sea. Oh, yeah. They definitely had some seafarers. But uh, like you say, it certainly wasn't a strength, and it wasn't something Magnus was expecting. The land force, with a large amount of Huns and Goths as mercenaries, managed to overwhelm Magnus's outer defences. Hmm. This is a city in modern-day Croatia that okay. was just taken straight away. Not a problem, though, thinks Magnus. That was just my outer defences. So he sends most of his forces 
led by his brother to stop the ground forces of Theodosius. He also sends his general, Andragathias. Andragathias? He's the one who killed Gratian in Gratian's episode. Oh, at the end. okay. Oh, ooh, yes. okay. He is sent to go and deal with the advancing ships. Ooh. So Magnus does need to split his forces slightly here. And that certainly seems to have had an impact. Because when Magnus's brother and Theodosius meet, they fight a very bloody and long battle. We don't have any details of this fight, apart from the fact that it was apparently very close. Eventually, however, Theodosius wins. Magnus realises he needs to retreat and manages to make it back to Aquileia. But the public mood had turned by this point. If it ever was with him, who knows, maybe they hated him from the start in Aquileia. By the time Theodosius turns up, Magnus was handed over immediately. Oh, okay. Zosimus writes, Magnus was torn from his imperial throne while in the act of distributing money to his soldiers, and being stripped of his imperial robes, he was brought to Theodosius. On the 28th of August, 388, Magnus is interrogated and beheaded. But that's not the end for him. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, at least not his head. Uh-oh. Because his head then goes <laughs> on a tour of the province. Yay! Yay! Head so, tour. Head tour. He gets to see the sights. <laughs> yes. And there you go. He's dead. Okay. That's Magnus. More impressive than I was expecting, but... He... Great greatest? Who the hell gave him that name? <laughs> well, let's rate him and we'll decide. Yeah. Not decide who gave him the name. That was probably his mother... Fightius Maximus. Okay, we have no more details than what we've already covered. Okay. I scraped so, the bottom of that sauce barrel. So we'll just discuss what we thought then. Yeah, well, quick recap. He fought in Britain and Africa under the Count. Yeah. In Africa, if it was him, he was charged with some special missions. He managed to kidnap some enemy generals. That's quite cool. Yeah. Happy with that. He led the forces in Britain and he fought some fights. Although we have no details whatsoever on those. But he was obviously <laughs> victorious because he didn't die. Yeah, that's a good indication. Yeah. And then, of course, he led a successful coup, defeated an emperor, not in straight-up battle, but by using the troops to defect to him. So using some kind of strategy. Well, he's quite, he's quite good at that, though. He but, was, yes, his strategy And, and he used good. that as emperor as well. He sent people just to cause chaos and make a mess. It's, like, a bit, it's a terrorist. <sighs> Terrorism's tactics. It's... Guerrilla tactics, or... That's probably a slightly better way of putting it. Yeah, it's certainly underhand tactics. It's not normal, mm. straight-up fighting tactics. Which, it showed success. Yeah, it certainly so... worked. I mean, I'm impressed with the fact that he managed to get Alexandria to riot. He'd never been to Alexandria. Before <laughs> you even know where it was. No. <laughs> so, yeah, there were some nice bits there. Um, but, against him, he lost against Theodosius... He fleed from the battle and was eventually caught and killed. Yeah, not great. Um, I'm thinking of like the three or four mark. Oh, no, I'm more impressed with that. Really? Yeah, I think so. He didn't so. take land. Actually, no, he did. He take, took land, didn't he? He took the Italy. He went over the Alps. Well, he also took Gaul and Britain. Ooh, okay. Well, yeah. he revolted in Britain, but he took Gaul by force. Mm. And he took Italy. He, he took, then managed to take Italy as well. Rome. So he has managed to do some invasion. Admittedly, it's internal civil war invasion, but still, he manages to take some places. Better than most emperors have done. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, think about it. Yeah, okay. Um, six? Seven? Oh, I'm not going that high either. Oh, I mean, say. if you want to do that, you can. I think... Uh, maybe six. Um, I think six. I'm putting six. 
Yeah, no, he did defeat an emperor. Going for six. Not many emperors can say he's defeat. They've defeated another emperor. That's true. In battle, sort of battle. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Put me down for a six. Will do. That's a twelve. Aprovium crazium. Okay, again, not many details here, but he does have something. Ooh. A fairly big thing. Hey. <laughs> was it Gildo? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. This was linked to the fact that he was trying to impress Ambrose and the Nicene faction, which I love the fact that he's desperately trying to impress Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. But also personally despised Ambrose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also wants someone like he sees the value, but just, I just hated him. Yeah. yeah, you get the impression that was never going to work. So here he is. He's trying to prove to Ambrose and the world that he yeah. is very devoutly Nicene. <laughs> now, I'm going to introduce another man. This is a bishop named Priscillian. He was possibly born in Hispania, but we don't know for certain. And he had some interesting views when it came to Christianity. Ooh. Crazy ideas. <laughs> Such as, it's okay to meet, to worship, at home, rather than the church. <gasps> Men and women could pray together. Oh, that's so liberal. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine, this led to tensions. And he was <laughs> accused of not following the teachings of Christ properly. About equality and that kind of yes. stuff. There were other things as well that didn't yeah. go a bit deeper into the theology, but from the layman's perspective, it seems quite small. Mm. But as we've seen, accusations of not being a proper Nicene are kind of ten a penny at this time. That's true. This would have just gone down in history as just another internal religious debate. Had Magnus not recently taken over as the local emperor. Yeah. And he had something to prove. Magnus was not having any of this non-Orthodox Nicene Christianity nonsense. No, that rubbish. No, he was going to prove that everyone under him was perfectly Nicene. He decides to put Priscilla and his followers on trial, but, interestingly, in a secular court. This is effectively saying that this is a matter of state rather than the church. Ooh. And this is new. The trial was made public... And it shamed Priscillian as much as they possibly could. He was then found guilty and executed. Oh dear. Now why is this so noteworthy? No idea. Because this is the first ever recorded time in Christian history that someone is executed for the crime of heresy. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. This is Ooh. the birth of heresy. Long may it continue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Interesting. Yeah, so That's there like, you go. He's, as far as I could tell, he wasn't burnt, so no one was screaming, burn the heretic. But, <laughs> yeah, there we go. We have the death of heretics starting. Nice. Yes. Well, not really, but... Really not nice, no. <laughs> this is when the um, Christian church stops. Let's be nice to each other to let's kill people. Yeah, so basically not being Christian. Well, interesting you say that. Incidentally, this doesn't actually impress Ambrose. Oh, good. So it all kind of backfires. Ambrose was very unhappy that people had been executed. Good. Because it was the church's decision to execute people, <laughs> not the state's decision. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Doing so well. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. I think being the first person to kill a heretic is... Uh, something that can go in his, his cap. I think, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I had for Probium. That's all I had for Bad Crazy. Uh, for Good Sane, he was against the use of Unix. Really? Unix are becoming more and more popular. In fact, I need to do an aside about Unix at some point so we can understand them a bit more. Oh, um, okay. But yes, they're becoming more and more popular at the moment, but Magnus would have nothing to do with them. This is either a good thing, because it was on the grounds that it was very, very cruel to treat a boy in such a way just to get him into a position of power within the civil service. Fair enough. It, it's just, just not very nice. What do they do? We'll go into the details of how uh, Unix were created in another episode. Oh, okay. Because um, I've found some interesting quotes. Mm. Let's just say, not always a knife was used. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> and I'll just leave that there. <laughs> so, either Magnus was against Unix because it was a horribly cruel thing to do. Then again, maybe it was just bigotry against the existing Unix. In which case, that's just not very nice. He's shown compassion before, though. He has shown compassion before, so I'd like to believe that he just thought that it wasn't a very good thing to do, rather than him just being a slight bigot. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, there we go. That's all I've got. Well, I'm not going to score him high at all. Like, two? One? Yeah, I'd give him a couple for being the first person to kill a heretic, because that's interesting. Mm. Was it single-handedly him? Oh, yes, that was very much his orders, his decision to do it. Fair enough. I'll yeah. give him two as well. Yeah, there we go. Four for a problem crazy then. Success ultimate. He's going to struggle here. He really is. What did he add to the Empire at all? He just caused more division, if anything else. Yeah, you could argue that he kept the borders of the Rhine safe for a while. Yes. But if he wasn't there, Valentinian too would have done that. Maybe arguably not quite as well, though. He seems very superfluous, isn't he? It's like, you're there, so just sort it out while you're there. Well, let's face it, he's not on the poster that's up on the wall behind us. Oh, isn't he? No. He's quite often missed out on lists of emperors. So how come you decide to include him? Because I think there was enough evidence to suggest that he was treated as an emperor in his own right. Does the Senate now have authority to say, yes, you are emperor? Do they no, even count anymore? No, not really. The Senate don't count right. at all. Another reason, I must admit... Is because he had a cool name. That, yeah, okay. And also, <laughs> I know that Theodosius is coming up. He's got a long episode. I've now managed to cover quite a lot of the background of Theodosius's family in this episode. So I'll be able to strategic yeah, episode. There's a bit of strategic episode going on as well. So I think maybe he's got a bit lucky that he was given an episode. But he is considered an emperor in some lists. The one on Wikipedia, for example, lists well, him go. as an emperor. Well, there we so, go. Yeah, I, and I think he was. He was clearly recognised by the end as an emperor by the well, other Well, the other emperors did, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think he deserves to have a, an episode, but whether he deserves to score any points in success as Ultimus is another matter. Because like you say, all he did was divide the empire when it didn't need yeah. to be divided. No. It was all for personal glory, that revolt. He wasn't doing it because it needed to happen. He wasn't saying, oh... No, the Empire's in a state it needs more security. I'm going to give him two for keeping vaguely safe borders. I'm not even going to be that generous. I'll give him one for looking after the Rhine area, perhaps better than Valentinian could. <laughs> Fair enough. There we go, that's three for success at Ultimus then. Image of I have a feeling we're going for coins a lot recently. Is he another coin? He's another coin, we uh, definitely don't have a bust here. <laughs> um, so I imagine he's got quite a flat face. Roman nose, got a mouth, chin, <laughs> yeah, hair, 
bubbly curly hair with something like laurel leaves in it or something and I it's almost like you've looking, seen the coin to the right or looking to the left sorry on right or left left I got it wrong he's looking to the right it's his left though <laughs> yes it is <laughs> fair enough I'll give you that uh, <laughs> there you go there he is he looks like a very typical man younger than I was expecting he d- oh yeah he does he looks fa- yeah, yeah I was expecting true. a bit older than that do you think it's um Romanticised a bit, possibly. Going back to more classical look. Yes, it seems to be because he's actually approaching fifty by the end. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. so this is clearly a younger version okay. of him, or maybe it's just a bad coin. He looks like his massive bottom lip. Look at that. Well, yeah, I was about to say overbite. The, the, the coin is is weird. It looks like his mouth is being squashed up into his nose. Like a bulldog. Yeah, a bit. But the whole chin area just looks a bit sort of melted. Maybe it's just been knocked on the coin slightly. Yes, that's a good impression of it. It's a shame our listeners can't see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not in any way impressed by that. No, I'm not doing anything for that. Sorry, I'm not. I I can't. There's nothing interesting there at all. Apart from the chin. It's got an interesting chin. Okay, one for the other bite. Yeah, I'll give him. I'll give him one as well. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So that is a total of zero point five. Facious. Temple completed. I fought for a few years, so I'm guessing six years. Not bad. Three eight four to three eight eight, a total of four, four years. Okay. So that gives him a zero point five for tempo completo, which, if you add up all his scores, oh, interesting. He has a remarkably round score. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. He has a score of twenty. Twenty. That's 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 quite unique. That is very unique. We've Have you ever had, had a... We've had a round number before. It was... Maximinus Dyer scored a round 26. Okay. But... This is the roundest, This though. is the roundest We've rounded number. through 10 here. Yeah, we have. So, Ooh. if nothing else, he's getting the roundest score awards. <laughs> yes, he is. Which is nice. But does he have... Do they have a certain... Je ne sais of course not, no. No, you're not even going to no. start. I'm not going to consider it. It's got a good name. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't live up to the name, though, does it? So did Maximinus Thrax. Did we give Genesis that? Yeah, we gave him that. All right. Yeah. He did more. He punched a horse, though, in the <laughs> face. Yes. Come on, Thrax was a giant. That's true. <laughs> he beat up horses. Of course he got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no, you're right, Magnus does nothing much apart from have a good name, and he did some alright stuff, he wasn't awful. Yeah, he wasn't terrible, but he's very, he's, he's halfway, he's not like the full 40, yeah. he's not in the 40 club. No, he's he's only halfway, like you say, to the 40 club, that's not good. Yeah, he's, um. I mean, score-wise, he's better than Elagabalus, but not as good as Philip. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, so... That's um, pretty Maximus Dyer, isn't it? Hey! hey. Yeah, so I agree with you. I think no Genesis are for Magnus Maximus, yeah. which is a shame. I was hoping for better. That's true. But I know what the last few we've done that have achieved it, we forgot to do the poppers and the, the, the trumpets. Oh, did we? You know what? I forgot yeah. about the poppers and trumpets. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's a good thing, considering they're probably illegal. Yeah, um, it was only a matter of time before one of us lost an eye. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that is a good thing. Okay, so that is no Jeanne Cesar this week. It's a shame. However, look how close to the end we are. Oh, my yes, goodness. Yes, look at the spreadsheet there. You can actually see the end of the list on the spreadsheet. Yeah, because I remember in the, when you first made it and you, you just scrolled down to the bottom and thought, oh, my goodness, it's going <laughs> to take ages. 
Yeah, oh, that is looking scarily close. Only only about 19 more episodes left. We're nearing the end. We are. It's coming to the end. Right. The end is nigh. All we need to do then today is say thank you to some of our new senators. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you very much. I can't remember which oh. ones we did last time. Might be overlapping here slightly. But I think people deserve two thanks anyway. So... Yeah. Thank you very much to Julia Lamore. I'm sure we thanked Julia Lamore before. But thank you anyway. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for Dan Milburn. Yes. Thank you, Leisha Bedoin. Thank you, SJ Trom. SG Trom. SG Trom. Yes, a very big thank you to you. It's a very generous donation there. And also. Very generous for Jessica Jarembat. Yes, thank you very much. Very generous. Um, and yes. and everything you're, all the money you're funding is paying for uh, special episodes. It's also helping for Rob's research books. Yes, and um, one day maybe we'll get our microphone working. It's now with another person yes. who we think might be able to figure out what's wrong with and it. And it's really unusual because you were saying when we plugged it into the guy's laptop, it was fine. Yeah. But plugged into your laptop or our dictaphone, it just it just doesn't work. It's really weird. Yeah, so as we've said before, if you know how to fix it, then... Uh, Let us know. Yeah, write sound it on the yeah. yeah, that'll be useful. <laughs> one day, one day we'll improve our sound. Yeah. We will. Right, okay. uh, Don't forget, you can join our Facebook page on uh, Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, which is via Twitter. You can also download us from iTunes, Podbeans and Stitcher. Yes. All we need to do now is say, I am Magnus Maximus. The greatest, great. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
He said Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> They're the Irish counterparts. Right? Ah, hello there. <laughs> Guess who gothic on you there? <laughs> Grab a Guinness and bang your heads, boys and girls. <laughs> Have you got any of the eyeliner? <laughs> You must uh, get Irish goths. Uh, well, <laughs> I've lost me feckin' black nail varnish. It's too hot today. It's all melting off me. It's a good thing we're Irish, we're pale anyway. Wow, we have managed to offend both the Irish <laughs> and people of gothic persuasion. Yes. Uh, we're sorry. We'll, we'll put that yes. apology next week. <laughs> yes. if, if you're... Um, if you're Irish, how, ma- how many gothic people are around in Ireland? I just don't picture Ooh. gothic people with an Irish accent. The Irish accent seems too happy. It's not Sisters of Murphy. Not <laughs> <laughs> Sisters of Murphy, no. They're a great band, though. Absolutely grand. Irish fiddle, and then it just kicks it. <laughs>